Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There is a story for everyone here, because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Do you think that it would be possible to live an entire year based around all the rules that the Bible lays out for us? That's exactly what my guest today, AJ Jacobs, attempted to do when he decided to live an entire year biblically. Uh, One man's humble quest to follow the Bible as literally as possible, but he didn't stop there. He did something else too. He's got a, his first ever book was called The Know-It-All, One Man's Humble Quest to Become the Smartest Person in the World. Did that happen? We talk about that during our conversation together, among many, many other things. But what drove my guest, AJ Jacobs, into doing all these weird, wild, and crazy things is his genuine uh, nature, actually, his uh, real authentic curiosity, I guess you could say, which is something that we talk about during this conversation too. But AJ is an author, a journalist, lecturer, and you guessed it already, a human guinea pig. He has written four New York Times bestsellers that combine memoir, science, humor, and a dash of self-help all into the mix. Why not? He's also published a collection of essays uh, called My Life as an Experiment, One Man's Humble Quest to Improve Himself. The book contains experiments featuring George Washington's Rules of Life, uh, Marshall Harmony, Marshall uh, Disharmony, uh, Multitasking, and a bit of nudity just to add to the incredible mix. Um, He writes for Esquire uh, and he does all these incredible things. Get this, his father is a lawyer who holds the world record for the most footnotes in a law review article. 4,812. His wife works for a highbrow scavenger hunt called Watson Adventures. He lives in New York City with his family. And he also has a new book out called The Puzzler, One Man's Quest to Solve the Most Baffling Puzzles Ever from Crosswords to Jigsaws to the Meaning of Life, among many, many other endeavors that this man uh, takes on. 
I found this conversation to be really, really fascinating. Funny story, actually, I had AJ's email request to, to come on the show uh, planned and drafted for several months. Actually, it was just sitting in my drafts folder until one day I decided, you know what, I'm going to reach out to him and invite him on the show. And I'm so glad that I did because this is a conversation for the ages. It's one of my one of my personal favorites just because there's so much in here. We both share a huge love and affection for um, curiosity, stories, you name it. Uh, we touch on his year of living biblically, what he learned from that, also what what it took by reading the entire uh, encyclopedia and, and Britannica uh, and, and what he learned from all these experiences as well as his latest book, The Puzzler 2. Also, my friends, don't forget that you can watch the full video interview now over on YouTube. Uh, we're getting close now on the road to 10,000 subscribers. We're getting there, but we'll greatly appreciate your help uh, if you can go over there and subscribe, that would be awesome. Um, but yeah, my friends, glad that you are here today and I hope you enjoy this conversation between me and AJ. So you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into the story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, the wild and outrageous, crazy stories of none other than AJ Jacobs. Thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. I've got to keep that long introduction in the actual uh, audio version <laughs> so people can actually understand what I'm talking about pr properly. Um, I know it's a little bit longer than what I'd normally do, but you've got a huge repertoire of, I only read out two books. You've written so many others. Uh, you've got a new one out that, that came out this year, I believe, and you're working on another one, The Puzzler. You're trying to learn all about puzzles and, and why it interests people about that. Um, but yeah, so much, so many topics to cover in, in just an hour's time, AJ, honestly. Um, <laughs> where do we, we don't have to start? cover them all. Where to start? That is the, the, the important question. But I guess I'm going to start with the question that I start all my conversations with, which is what does success look like for you? Yeah, and since I I listened to the show, I knew this was coming, uh, and so I should have a, a stellar answer. But it's such a an interesting and hard question. I don't think I have the one perfect answer. Um, one answer I thought of is success means uh, when you are able to make your life better at the same time as making other people's lives better. So you you know you can make your life better at the expense of other people. But to me, success is when you are doing that. Another thought I had is I think a lot of life is is less like an on-off switch and more like a dimmer. Right. Uh, so uh, I think success is the same way. It's not like one day you wake up and you're like, I'm successful. Yesterday I wasn't. It's like, you know, some days you're more successful than others. Um, some days you're happier than others. And someday, sometimes it's a mix. So I was just thinking of an example of, of how one experience can have elements of failure and success at the same time. And one example uh, that's just recent is I've been negotiating for, uh, 
for this podcast. I'm going to do a podcast and we've been in mm-hmm. negotiations for months and it's driving me crazy. So in one sense, like that's a that's a big downside. That's like a real annoyance um, in my life. On the other hand, uh, I it gave me time to write this article that I wrote for The Guardian about the Constitution and living by the, the strictest interpretation of the Constitution. And my book editor loved that article so much that that's now my next book. And I wouldn't have had time to do that if the negotiations for the podcast had happened. Uh, so in a sense, you know, it turned out to be a positive that these negotiations are dragging on for months. So it's very hard to say X is, is a total success and Y is a total failure. It's always a mix. I believe it or not, I was actually going to start off this conversation with a different question, but I thought I'd, I'd start there and I'm glad that I did because I'm curious, having said all that, I mean, you you mentioned that one thing led to something you didn't really expect it to in a roundabout way. Has that sort of been the theme of, of your life where you've gone to do something and something else has come out of it? Well, absolutely. For instance, the uh, you mentioned my book, The Year of Living Biblically, where I tried to follow all the rules of the Bible. Um, and just to give some quick background on that until before we get to the answer. Um, I I grew up in a very secular home and I, uh, I had no religion. As I say in the book, I'm Jewish, but I'm Jewish in the same way the Olive Garden is Italian. I don't know <laughs> if that translates to Australia, but, uh, but the point was uh, I had a son. I wanted to know what to teach him, if anything, about my heritage. So I thought one way to learn about the Bible would be to live it, to actually walk in the four in the steps of uh, our forefathers. So I uh, I wanted to follow every rule I could find in the Bible. And that turned out to be a lot of rules because they're the famous ones, which I wanted to follow, the Ten Commandments and love your neighbor. But then there are all these ones, especially in the Old Testament, uh, that uh, that are don't get a lot of play. And the Bible in Leviticus says you shouldn't shave the corners of your beard. I didn't know where the corners were. So I just let the whole thing grow. And I looked nuts. I looked like, you know, uh, Ted Kaczynski, the unit bomber. Uh, and, uh, and I spent a lot of time at airport security. So, um, but anyway, there were many. So, I, you know, I, after I shaved the beard and, uh, uh, but there were many parts of this experiment that I have kept with me. And one of them was the idea of gratitude, because gratitude is saying prayers of thanksgiving is a big part of the Bible. Uh, and I wanted to continue that. Uh, and so to answer your question, I was continuing that by I, I had a ritual at dinner where I would try to thank the people who helped make the dinner possible. So I would say, you know, let's thank the farmer who grew these tomatoes for our tomato sauce and and the woman who sold me the pasta at the store and my son who is 10 or 11 said you know that's fine but those people are not in our apartment they can't hear you so if you really were committed to gratitude you would thank them in person and I sort of saw that as that's a lovely idea, a challenge, like almost like a challenge. I was like, all right, I'm going to try that. So that was my next book. 
was about going around and trying to thank a thousand people who had even the smallest role in my morning cup of coffee. So the farmer and the, the barista, but also the, the logo designer and the truck driver and the, the biologist who came up with that strain of coffee and on and on and on. So yes, it was uh, the Bible led to another project. And it often happens that something will will just lead. And, um, you know, I think it is a balance. It's nice to have like a long-term plan, but it's also you have to react to the circumstances. And when inspiration strikes, you've got to follow that as well. Did you ever imagine yourself doing any of these things when you're growing up? Was this something that you wanted to pursue? I definitely did not imagine this. I, I always loved books and I always had a very high level of curiosity. Curiosity yeah. and gratitude are two of my favorite human drives. I so I was you. never the, you know, the most athletic, uh, not even the smartest, but uh, uh, certainly not the best looking. But but I might have had the highest curiosity level of uh, anyone in my in my high school class. So and that was even back then. I, I remember we lived a block away from the Scientology Center in New York. And I remember nice. going in there as a high schooler just to see what it was like. I never joined Scientology and um, and I actually gave them a fake name because I was kind of I knew enough that I didn't want them following me <laughs> the rest of my life. So, um, but uh, but yeah, that level of curiosity is is and actually one of my favorite quotes. I used to work at Esquire magazine and I interviewed Alex Trebek, the late great. Jeopardy host. And he had a quote that I think about a lot. He said, I'm curious about everything, even those things that don't interest me, yep. which is kind of paradoxical, but I totally get it. I'm interested in even the most boring things like, I don't know, concrete or, or accounting is stereotypically boring. But if you scratch beneath the surface, I'm sure accounting is fascinating. I should actually scratch and I shouldn't check in on that because maybe it is just boring but I don't think so I think it's gonna have all these levels of uh you know because it's about people's jobs which is about their passions and it's about people not about numbers just not about abstract numbers it's about numbers that represent people and their lives growing up I can relate to the aspect of being quite curious I was very much uh, an introverted individual that loved asking a bunch of weird, wild and outrageous questions to people half the time, like why <laughs> do people believe in Santa Claus or even the Easter Bunny, for example? I, I just couldn't understand why that was the case because I didn't believe it. <laughs> like it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. Sorry for people that are listening to this and you do believe it still <laughs> as adults. Uh, but also I, I remember as a young kid, so, you know, how you walked into Scientology and, and, and things like that. I ended up, so we used to live on a cul-de-sac and we were told that there used to be like this kidnapper that lived at the top, top of the street. And so as a, I think a five, four, five-year-old kid, I hop on my bike and I decide to ride up to see whether or not it was true. So I remember oh going up to the house. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> Knocked on the door and an old lady answered the door and I remember just asking her, uh, excuse me, lady, does a, a kidnapper live here? And she had the, had the, the wise in, intuition to send me home. And I remember going home and telling my mom and I got in the biggest trouble. 
<laughs> that, for that for that aspect, yes. So she did she answer? Or do we know? Or she did or she say no comment, get a get out of my house. She basically just told me to go home. She thought that so I was a, a young kid that didn't know. I'm still suspicious. I'm, I'm suspicious I'm still, it was her. That's one of the biggest questions I've still got, believe it or not, <laughs> as an adult. <laughs> like, is it true or not? Or is it just superstition? Or were we told, you know, like, don't talk to strangers. But for me, right. I would talk to a lot of people. So I had to be sort of weaned out of that quite <laughs> sort of well, I will, yeah. I mean, there, you know, certainly anything, there are two much curiosity can be dangerous but i have i do think i've had uh, i've read two books actually on the uh on the joys of talking to strangers and that that was one of the things that we've really lost in this society when we're in our little bubbles and we're not to, i mean we're screaming at them on twitter but we're not talking to them face to face at a like you know at a bar or whatever so, uh, so yes, I am all for talking to strangers. Well, it's if they don't so kidnap easy. you. Sorry, you go. I said as long as they don't kidnap you. Like, <laughs> <talk to them>. <laughs> <laughs> That's a crucial point. Or they don't attack you or do anything like that in person, right. as long as it's perfectly safe. But I think a lot of people these days, they hide behind the wall of social media and they just go all out. Like for me, Twitter is just kind of like cesspool of vehement vile hate and i rarely go on there it's just same same with instagram sometimes but twitter's for whatever reason it's a lot worse so i try and get off there but you mentioned something interesting that i wanted to ask you about why do you think people are sort of losing this ability to be curious in society well, I think that sometimes curiosity can be a little bit uncomfortable because you are challenging your own conceptions and it sometimes feels better. I just saw a tweet that said, um, I just read a great article that confirmed everything I know. Uh, and it was a joke, but like that is a lot of what we do. Like we just th read things that confirm our point of view and you're like see i was right and that does feel better in the short term maybe but i think it's unhealthy in the long term so sometimes curiosity can be uncomfortable but i i do think it's it's absolutely worth it so how do we get back to a place of helping people become more curious and, and not be afraid per se to ask people questions even if it may be somewhat fearful well, that, it's interesting because you mentioned briefly my, my most recent book is called The Puzzler. Yeah. And it's about my love of puzzles of all kinds, crosswords, jigsaws, uh, mazes. And um, but it goes beyond that. It's, I think, a worldview. Uh, I quote the musician Quincy Jones, who says his philosophy is, I don't have problems. I have puzzles. So he reframes the problems in his life as puzzles. And I think that is a very powerful way to look at the world because problems are very, they're negative, they're annoying, they're um, intimidating. Whereas puzzles, they're solution oriented. Sometimes they can be playful and fun. So trying to see life's struggles as a puzzle, how can we solve this? And this relates directly to your question because Say I'm talking to someone on the other side of the political spectrum, 
So, you know, I'm sort of, I, I, I'm mostly liberal. I have, you know, I differ and uh, we all have our, hopefully we all have our own point of view that's not strictly one or the other. But I would say I, I tend more towards the liberal side. So if I'm talking to someone who's like an ardent Trump supporter, instead of trying to battle them with words and facts and say, you know, look at this evidence. What are you, an idiot? That does not work. That, and it often is counterproductive. It just polarizes people. So instead, I will go into a conversation like that, seeing it as a puzzle, almost a cooperative mystery. What, what do we really disagree on? And why do we do, well, is there evidence that I can present or she can present to me that would change one of our minds? And if not, what what can we do? Where can we go from there? So all of those are fun mysteries and to treat it like that as a puzzle as opposed to a war. It is so much more productive in getting people to shift their point of view. And it's also just, I think, you know, other, if I went into every conversation as a war, I would be dead of a heart attack by now because it is so stressful like the world we live in so yeah this is this is one of the real profound changes i've done since writing that book about puzzlers seeing more of life as a puzzle i like that concept of seeing life as a puzzle and, and for me especially being able to have people on that i may not necessarily agree with i don't feel like it is my place at all to attack them and say you're wrong i'm right and here's why i'm right and here's why you're wrong and vice versa i think it's always good to come alongside a person see it as this sort of puzzle in a way and trying to work out okay how can we be kind to one another during this conversation what kind of questions should we be asking ourselves here to sort of sort of uh, get to a common common place, as, yeah. as it were. And I think, yes, your podcast is an excellent example of, of curiosity in action. I think it all comes down to understanding that we're all human beings. What that looks like is that we all have a story and we shouldn't go attacking another human being because really you're attacking their story, you're attacking their belief systems, you're attacking their character, all these things, which doesn't, doesn't bode well. If you look at history, if you can learn anything from history, you don't go on the offensive. You sort of stay back and, and lean in gently, as it were. Yeah, and it is. I do try to go out of my way to find something good, even in those things that I strongly disagree with. So I'll give you an example like the um, well, the year of living biblically, I spent a lot of time talking to people of different religious backgrounds who were taking the Bible literally in one way or the other. So I went to the um, the Creation Museum, oh, yeah. and uh, where they uh, you know it's like a museum, a science museum devoted to the idea that the Earth was made five thousand years ago. Now I super strongly disagree with that. I am big fan of evolution. But uh, I think, you know, it, the easiest way would be just to make fun of them shooting. But that's shooting fish in a barrel. It's just uh, so I did try to see the world from their point of view. And, and I did find a couple of 
elements that I think are lovely. And, and one of them is, if you believe the world is just 5,000 years old, then we, and we all came from Adam and Eve, then that is, we are really closely related. That's just a few generations that yeah. we all go back. So it means that we're all really quite close cousins. And this idea of a global family um, they really, they really buy into that. And, um, and I love that. So, uh, I think, uh, I see the advantage of that. I, I, I'd rather look at it more metaphorically than that. It, you know, it's not 5,000 years, but, but even so we're all still cousins cause we all came from the same, uh, little, uh, Strain, DNA strand that appeared in an underwater volcano millions of years ago. But we are, we are still cousins. So I find it an interesting challenge to, to look for the good in, uh, even in those I disagree with strongly. How did you go with loving thy neighbor or loving those that you do disagree with or you may not appreciate as much? <laughs> yeah, no, well, that is tough. I mean, well, there's two different things. First of all, loving your neighbor was interesting because I live in New York City and, <laughs> and, um, it, we're not, we don't even, I, I see my neighbors in the hall and I nod at them. I don't, I barely know them. I, I barely know their names. So I made during that year a real concerted effort to get to know my neighbors. And I was able to befriend one of them who was fascinating. And she was uh, Jimmy, friends with Jimi Hendrix in the 60s. Oh. She was a hippie. So that was great. Um, yeah, loving your enemy. That is a tough one. Uh I mean, it is, I think it's, it's got great elements. I guess it, it also is related to the idea of forgiveness, which is one of my favorite ideas in the New Testament, this idea of forgiveness, because forgiveness is really a wonderful and under, especially now, gee, we need, we need more forgiveness now. Um, because it's not just good for the person you're forgiving. It is so good for you. Like the amount of, hatred that leaves your heart when you truly forgive is it's so liberating and uh you don't realize how much energy you have put into sort of holding a grudge against someone yeah. so uh yeah but it's a challenge i mean i don't know i'm trying to think of any suggestions i have on how to forgive people you hate you have any suggestions what are well, your strategies for forgiving people well for me like it's not easy, as you said, and I'm still learning as best I possibly can, like as a 26-year-old, and I don't believe that I'll ever be this true example of, all right, Jay's forgiven this person, so therefore that's it. Like, you know, I should look up to him. But I I looked at, I interviewed uh, a lady, she's, I believe, 95 or 96 now, current follow with it but um she's a holocaust survivor mm. and she wrote a book called the gift and in it and really she talks about this as well but she got to the place where she could forgive and i mean when you get to that place of all right the worst thing in human history one of the worst things i should say the holocaust when you when you can forgive that event and what they did to her to her that is a special place to get to. And that is someone I would look up to 
in my own life to say, well, if she can do it, then what's to say that I can't do it in my life with some of the things and some of the people that have hurt me and my enemies and so to speak. So for as much as I possibly can, AJ, and I'm not, not the best at this, but if someone, if I don't agree with someone or if I try not to have any enemies, I try to have more friends than enemies. And if I disagree with someone, that's okay. I'm allowed to disagree with you. doesn't mean I have to disassociate myself or not be a friend. I, I think that is the wrong way to look at it, to, to be honest. So yeah, that's that makes sense. Yeah, no, those are great. And yes, the I, I want to listen to that episode with that woman who forgave the people who put her through the Holocaust. That is a remarkable, evolved spirit right there. Very impressed. She is, she is a extremely wise woman. Now, on the other hand, there is another lady that I spoke to who also went through a Holocaust and she she can't forgive for the ones that aren't able to. So there's that kind of perspective too, you know. Yeah. Which I you know I'm not, I can't criticize that like that. Uh, certainly, totally understandable and human. Yeah, I I completely agree with you on on that front. But what was the hardest rule for you to follow with the the commands or the rules? Well, there were two different types of hearts. So there was there was the hard um, avoiding the small sins of life that we, you know, I mentioned the lying and the coveting and the gossiping. Then there were the rules that, especially in the Old Testament, that that are sometimes don't uh, quite align with modern day laws and customs. So the Hebrew scriptures that say you should stone adulterers, they say many times. So I figured I should try to stone an, at least one. And I was able to, so I'll tell you quickly how that happened. I was I was really getting into it because I feel a lot of times the outer affects the inner. So I was even dressing the part. I had the beard. I had a robe, white robe and sandals I'd wear sometimes around New York City where I live. And I went to Central Park and this guy came up to me and he said, what's going on? Why are you dressed like that? And I explained I'm trying to follow everything in the Bible from the Ten Commandments to stoning adulterers. And he says, well, I'm an adulterer. Are you going to stone me? And I said, well, that would be. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wonderful. That is a lovely offer. Thank you. And I took out a handful of stones that I had been carrying around for weeks, hoping to run into an adulterer or a self-professed adulterer, at least. 
And I showed them to them, and they were very small stones, because like pebbles. I didn't want to go to jail. I didn't want to kill them. So he was very aggressive. He did not see this as something he wanted to participate. So he grabbed the stones out of my hand and threw them at my face. And I thought, an eye for an eye, also in the Bible, I this gave me the opportunity to throw one back at him. So that's how I checked that off the list. Um, but it was hard. And, and I will tell you, there was also stone... In the Hebrew scriptures, you also have to stone Sabbath breakers. You have to stone... Um, astrologers. I did stone an astrologer who did not appreciate it. I thought, I didn't even think she noticed. I was just walking by this woman who had like a sidewalk astrology thing, and I just dropped a stone on her shoe and thinking she wouldn't even notice. And she like said, what, what, what are you doing? What happened? And I said, oh, I'm just, I, I explained because I had to tell the truth. And she was pissed. She did not think it was funny. She was like yelling at me, screaming, cursing. So, yeah, it wasn't always easy. Far out. <laughs> <laughs> what, what sort of possessed you to do this for a year? Well, um, I mean, part of it was this idea that um, I guess there were, there were several motivations. One was this idea that I grew up with no religion. And, and I just, I figured, I thought religion would sort of fade away and that we would all embrace sort of a, you know, a rational scientific point of view. Uh, that obviously didn't happen. So I said, you know, what, am I missing something? What's going on? What, what, what in religion is, is this like, uh, you know, like I, I, I've never heard Beethoven. So, Am I missing a huge part of life? Uh, and so that was sort of one of the big motivations to try to see, am I missing anything? Um, uh, and there are elements of religion that I loved, like the community, the rituals. I'm still not a believer in God, but I think religion is much more than belief in God. It's, you know, it's, it's many things. Um, so I did like that. Um, and then, you know, I also wanted to know what to teach my kids about religion and, and whether to continue the traditions that uh, I had inherited. And I do. I do like many of the traditions, um, like, you know, the, the Seder, which is sort of like, you know, uh, a second Thanksgiving. Uh, just the whole family gets together and, and it, I love, you know, I love an excuse to get the family together. So... So that, I guess, uh, those were the main motivations of why I embarked on this project. Yep. Oh, and I had a book contract. <laughs> I also <laughs> wanted to write a book. And I knew it would be an interesting topic. I also, as we said, I love, I'm super curious. So I loved learning. It was one of my favorite years. Just, I mean, I spent more than that. I spent like two years because I did a deep dive just talking to reading everything I could. I had a, a board of spiritual advisors, rabbis and ministers and priests and scholars and atheists. And I just loved, in fact, this one I'm, I'm particularly proud of. Uh, I think I might be one of the only people to out Bible talk a Jehovah's Witness because he came over to my, I invited him over. They don't really ring your doorbell in New York. So I had to call up and request them, which they were already like, 
didn't know what to do with. And then he came over and I just peppered him with so many questions that after three and a half hours, he looked at his watch and he's like, I got to go. I can't handle you. But I was fascinated. I'm just fascinated by people's beliefs and customs and culture. So, um, so yeah, I was very proud to have that on my, uh, that, that achievement. Did the Jehovah's Witness give you any substantial answers to your questions? Oh, yeah. Well, it depends how you define substantial. I mean, he certainly he did answer my questions. I, you know, I got I got a sense of his belief and it was not does not align with my belief. But um, uh, but it was fascinating. And, uh, you know, it, it was good to bust stereotypes and, you know, realize that, you know, no one is no one is out there. Try, well, very few few people think that they're out there trying to scam or do evil. I really believe most people are genuine in their thoughts that this is this is going to make the world better. This is the right way. And um, so, even though I don't agree with him, I loved learning his point of view. Yeah, I think it's it's good to have an open mind with different point of views and different. That's what I've learned. I guess the most with the show is that yes, I have my own belief system, but I also know that I don't know everything. And it goes back to what we we're saying earlier, that sense of curiosity is if someone knows something that I may not know, or they've got a different perspective on it, I'm open to hearing about it. It may yeah. not necessarily change my belief system, but I'm open to hearing it. And you may be able to convince me of something that, I wasn't aware of before. And that is all good oh, for me. Yeah, I think changing your mind. Some people, it's often seen as a negative. It's like, oh, you're a flip-flopper. Oh, you, you know. But no, it's it's something. If you change your mind because of evidence, that is a strength. That's the basis of science. Um, and on this topic, there is actually a quote I like, which is uh, that you should keep an open mind, not so open that your brain falls out. <laughs> but keep an open mind. So you, you have to balance a little bit of, uh, well, Carl Sagan has a great quote that I'm going to butcher, but basically it says something along the lines of you've got to balance the, the deepest curiosity and open-mindedness with also the strongest skepticism for um, making sure that these ideas meet a level of evidence that... Um, that makes them true. So you got to balance the the deep curiosity with also keeping a, a little skepticism so you don't fall for you know crazy conspiracy theories that are not true. Yeah, that is the the fine line I think the the relationship between truth versus conspiracy. <laughs> exactly. And there are some conspiracies that are true. People do conspire. But I mean, I talk about this in, in several of my books, how I mean, we are drawn, our brains are drawn to conspiracies because they are great stories and they are, you know, they had evolutionarily, it was advantageous to come up with a story. If you hear a rustle in the grass and you're a cave person, you've probably heard this, you know, it's, it's better to assume that it's a snake than it's the wind because if you're wrong, uh, with with uh, the snake, 
you're in trouble. And it is a snake. That's that's trouble. You're dead. But if you're wrong with a wind, then it's just like no big deal. Yeah. I think for me, having this this whole idea, because I know there's a ton of conspiracies out there, but it doesn't help when there's a lot of lies. And it's like you've got to try and gauge between whether or not this is just a lie versus a conspiracy lie versus a conspiracy that someone believes is true. It's a lot of work, man. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I'll tell you, I started on a book before my – I st- there have been a couple of projects where I, I put in three months' work. I had a contract to write this book, and it was all about this. How do we know what's true? It was called fact-checking my life. And I was going to fact-check everything. How do I know the world is round? How do I know my wife loves me? She says she does, but I'm not in her mind. How do I know the New York Times is more reliable than Fox News? And uh, and it was, it was fascinating, but it was actually such a stressful experience that I called my agent and I said, I'm miserable. I am miserable. I don't know what's true and it's just driving me crazy. And so I, um, I said, I really just want to, I love puzzles. Why, why don't I write a book about puzzles? And, and the publisher was like, you know, that, that's fine. So the publisher gave it the thumbs up and, and saved me. I still think it's an interesting idea that I want to get back to sometime, but I have to figure out the right approach. Yeah, when when you're less miserable when you're writing it, that's the that's the key, I think. Because <laughs> it's nothing worse than writing something when you're downright miserable. Like I remember oh. the first the first draft of my book after I, I finished it, I'm like, what is this? Oh man, I had no no idea what it was, and then came the misery. <laughs> oh, yeah. It wasn't so much well, miserable. As I was writing it, but it was more after I finished the first draft, then came the misery. And then secondly, when I came back to it, I felt a little bit less miserable, but still Good. a bit miserable. <laughs> well, as long as it was less miserable, that's trending in the right direction. And did you find in terms of feedback, was it editors, friends, yourself? How did you know what to change? Well, I finished the first draft and I couldn't make heads or tails of what it actually was. Uh, and then I sent it to a friend of mine who read it. And the look on on that person's face was just of utter disbelief. They couldn't understand what was going on in the book anyway. And I was just like so ashamed of it. So I decided to shelve it. And I'm like, nah, I'm not going to write a book ever again. Forget this. And then uh, it was me actually coming back to it uh, about a year or so, a few almost a year later when I had gotten the the inspiration to write another book completely. So I got halfway through writing another book that I was more inspired to write when I realized that my grandfather's words, if you start something, be excellent, give it your best, that I hadn't given it my best. So I shelved the, the book that I was currently writing and then went back to the old one, deleted everything and started again. Wow, that is interesting. Yeah. Now, I will tell you, I, I think that is one of the greatest strategies is to, if you're, if you're uh, stuck, then step away. And that I talk about it a lot in my book on puzzles. And even Leonardo da Vinci, one of the greatest thinkers of all time, he wrote about it in his diaries. He said, 
If I'm painting and I'm stuck on a problem, then I walk away, I take a nap, I go for a walk, and then I come back and my mind is fresh and I'm able to solve the problem. So uh, I think you did a, a great thing there. Yeah, looking at a particular puzzle for a long time can kind of tire you out even more. And then once you get that that tiresome attitude, you become more miserable and you're like, oh, I stuff this. Right. I mean, it's worthless, right? But then when you take some time away from it and you come back to it, you start realizing things you didn't realize before. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you get stuck in a rut. You get in these these neural ruts where you just can't get out. And yeah, so you've got to you got to give your mind a break. You got to look, read something completely different and uh, it'll, it'll be stewing in the back of your brain. I mean, there are studies that talk about it sort of marinates in there. So your mind is working on it. Uh, but then you'll go back and then it'll click. Hopefully you might have to take eight or nine breaks. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Don't be afraid to take as many breaks as you, as you want. I wanted to ask you this question. I won't use the word problem because we've changed that word now to puzzle. <laughs> what has been the most intriguing puzzle that you've had to face in your life that you, I guess, wrestled with? I guess I would have to say it's my own demons. Like it is my my own negative thoughts. And so, um, and my, you know, I... I have been depressed uh, several times in my life, so that's the biggest puzzle. How do I, um, how do I try to have mental health? And I have, you know, I've come up with tons of strategies, and it's all a matter of trying different strategies out and balancing the strategies. And you know, one random one that comes to mind is I find talking to myself out loud is a really good strategy to battle uh, bad thinking. Because when, when I start to say it out loud, like if I start to say, oh, my life is over, I, you know, I missed this deadline, um, I've never, no one's ever going to hire me again, I hear myself say it and I'm like, that doesn't sound right. That sounds like, you know, crazy catastrophizing. So let's, you know, let's rein it in. And it's almost... Um, it's a way to sort of keep an eye on your brain and your thoughts and make them more um, more visible to yourself. Sort of, a, um, you're able to have metacognition, thinking about thinking. So, uh, so I have little post-it notes all over my room that say "talk to yourself, talk to." So I look, and so, sometimes I used to look much more crazy because before Bluetooth, like, you know, when you're talking to yourself on the street, people were like, you know, think you're, uh, you've lost it. But, but now you can just pretend that you're talking to your, your AirPod. Uh, but usually I'm not, I'm just talking to myself. I love that. I love it because I do it in the car when I'm driving somewhere. Good. Yeah. It's so liberating in a sense as well. Like you, you mentioned things that when, when you get it from your brain and you actually speak it, it's like you're giving liberty away in a sense. Like you're, you're freeing yourself from that demon. Yeah. Get out of me. Well, that's a good way to think about it. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. 
that's the way I look at it. But I understand your your story in the sense of going through depressions. So I've I've been through that too, but and I've had to learn somewhat the hard way a lot of the time, like how to fix this, how to manage it. But I love what you mentioned earlier about coming back to gratitude. Like the whole idea of attitude is a gratitude being incredibly important. Did you find that now that you implement this attitude of gratitude, that it overall, how how does it affect your overall health? Oh, it's huge. I mean, it's still a struggle. It's still a practice. It's not something that I can just, you know, that automatically I still have to do rituals. I still every morning email my mom one thing I'm grateful for. And the more specific, the better. Uh, I still, um, you know, I still also one of the big lessons of that and other books was the idea of uh, how much behavior affects your thoughts. So it's not just that your thoughts affect your behavior, but it's often the other way around. So the whole whole idea of fake it till you feel it, the whole idea of um, there's a great quote. I wish I had come up with it, but I think it's the founder of Habitat for Humanity is credited with it. And he says, it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than it is to think your way into a new way of acting. So that's all about love with the gratitude book. You know, I had to spend several hours a day just thanking random people. And I would wake up in, a, in my negative bias, default, cranky, Larry David mood. But I would force myself to thank people. And after you do it for enough, if you're calling enough people, and then it tricks your mind. And you're like, you know what? I am grateful. And uh, it's very powerful. I remember, I, and it always felt so good. I would call the woman who did pest control for the for the warehouse where the coffee was stored. And she would, I would say, I know this is crazy, but I just want to thank you for keeping the bugs out of my coffee. And she's like, well, thank you. I don't get a lot of credit. I know it is weird, but I, I never get acknowledged. So thank, thank you. And that made me feel better as this virtuous cycle. Uh, so yeah, faking it till you feel it is, um, is a huge one in gratitude, but also in confidence and, and compassion and anything, any, any of the good emotions. The two words you can never use or overuse is thank you. I love that. Yeah. No, people are definitely underthanked, and, um, and it, it can be a little awkward, uh, I think, uh, like, you know, calling strangers, but, but. <laughs> 90 and 5% of them are skeptic. You know, 5% are like, is this a pyramid scheme? Like, what do you want from me? But 95%, uh, you'll get positive reactions. People really do like to be thanked because I think, you know, I feel we all feel we are not acknowledged enough for what we do. People take us for granted. And in many senses, we do. You know, it's hard to, part of the lesson from that coffee book was, how many hundreds of people it took to create a cup of coffee. And these were people I totally took for granted. You know, people, there are all these steps that I had no idea that, you know, they had to put the coffee, coffee comes in these little fruits, like little, they call them coffee cherries. And someone has to get the 
the fruit off of the bean and someone has to roast the bean and someone has to taste it and you know there are hundreds of people uh, so just remembering that instead of focusing on the three or four things that go wrong trying to focus on the hundreds that have gone right is a really powerful way to battle that feeling of of depression and feeling of you know entitlement and all that i think it was theodore roosevelt that said people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I think, mm-hmm. I, got it, I think I got it right. I mean, it's one of my favorite quotes because it sort of reminds me of, well, I need to show people going back to what we were saying earlier, I need to show them love. I need to show them respect. I need to show gratitude and thanks. Even if, right. even if that it's small nice. things, it doesn't like matter. That. Just You're right. It. Well, that's interesting because the first book you mentioned that I wrote was about um, reading the encyclopedia. So a lot of it was about, you know, what does knowledge bring us? And does it bring us wisdom? Does it bring us happiness? What is the difference between knowledge and wisdom? I actually, there is a quote I like. um, Knowledge is knowing that fruit, uh, tomato is a fruit and wisdom is knowing that it doesn't belong in a fruit salad. Mm. Uh, I mean, which I actually disagree. I think that's very restrictive of fruit salad. Why can't a tomato be in a fruit salad? So I, I take it back. But the point is, you know, there is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. And uh, and for instance, like I, you know, I ingested thousands of facts, and it, and individually, a lot of them are completely useless. Like opossums have thirteen nipples. That's still in my brain. I don't need to know that. But, and I just put it in your listeners' brains, so I hope it stays there. Thank you for that. <laughs> I, hope, I hope it doesn't. I apologize for putting it in there. But, um, uh, but you know, what, what, was, what were the big takeaways of that experience, of ingesting all those facts? And there were many. But one was, uh, relates right back to what we were talking about, gratitude. Because you read about all of human history and you see the good old days, they were not good. They were terrible. They were dangerous, violent, sexist, homophobic, smelly. You can't believe how smelly the world was. You know, it was just, uh, it was just horrible. Um, so we have tremendous problems now, and I don't want to downplay that. And I want to keep trying to solve uh, these puzzles, but uh, but I also don't want to have this false nostalgia for a, a better past. And there's actually a mantra that I started to use. This is another way to, another one of my many strategies to battle depression is um, if I start to get annoyed about something like, you know, the Wi-Fi is not working, I try to say, remember the three words, um, surgery before anesthesia, because Mm -hmm. that was a section in the encyclopedia about what it was like to have surgery before anesthesia was available. And I, I won't get into details because, I mean, it kept me up at nights with the details. But the basic idea is not good. <laughs> it was not pleasant to have surgery without anesthesia. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that is something I'll never have to face, hopefully. And uh, and I'm so grateful for that. Let's just say it was hell for that uh, and leave it at that. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a very good description of it. Uh, I mean, you can Google it. There are first-person accounts of of it uh, that you can find on the internet, and um, if you really want to, 
uh, and maybe it's good. Maybe you'll be more grateful when you read it in detail, but uh, I don't want to assume. So uh, you can find that out on your own. And I mean, you actually reading the entire encyclopedia and looking at all these facts to build, I guess, a sense of knowledge, uh, it would make you a very, very interesting person, especially like with me, I... I'm a voracious reader. Like I love interesting facts. I love books. I love stories. So I'm always rattling off these weird things to my girlfriend. And I think I bore her half to death sometimes. With <laughs> well, that's it. It's, it is a, it's a tricky balance. It is a tricky balance because, yeah, I mean, I was ingesting so many facts and I, I just wanted to share them. Uh, but maybe I overshared. So... Uh, my wife started to penalize me. She would charge me $1 for every irrelevant fact I inserted into conversation. So, you know, she would say, oh, I have a headache. And I would say, oh, did you know the Bayer Aspirin Company invented heroin? And it was originally as a cough suppressant. She's like, give me a dollar. <laughs> so she made a lot of money. Uh, so you got, you got to balance it. You got to, I, I feel it's a lot about compassion. Like looking from the other person's point of view, what, would this actually be interesting to them or is it I'm just showing off? Yeah. No one likes a know-it-all, as they say. Just, <laughs> exactly. And no one is a know-it-all. That's the yeah. other thing I learned. You know, there is so much information out there. And I I think that the, the, the smartest and wisest people I know are the ones who are so aware of the limits of their intelligence and wisdom. Uh, this idea of epistemic humility. Yep. So, um, yeah, a know-it-all, someone who actually believes they know it all is actually not probably that smart in some ways. No, they're not humble, which you need. But, um, yeah. Anyway, AJ, I know I've got to let you run. I've got to run myself as well. I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. My final question for you, this is my all-time favorite question. You probably would have heard it with Dan Cook. I do. I know what's so, coming. Okay, Matt, cool. <laughs> so bear with me on this. Uh, but imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your right. friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. I can imagine already that it's going to be one hell of an interesting film <laughs> at that. Uh, just imagine they got it all and they put it together in a film for you. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Yeah, it's a fascinating question. I, I gave it some thought. I mean, first of all, I would say I would want to make sure the film was interesting to them as well as me because they're going to be watching it. And I'm 100. I've lived a long time. I don't want to, you know, so so that should be their first consideration. Don't do it for me. Do it for the crowd. Second, um, I think I would like them to show my failures as well as my successes uh, and we talked our first question about how often those are intertwined. It's not always black and white. But I just do want to stress to any descendants I have that, you know, life is not a straight line. And we all struggle. We all have failures. We all have successes. So, and, you know, even I'm sure there'll be videos when everyone's videotaping everything, uh, you know, there'll be videos of me falling on my face. So throw in a couple of those YouTube moments of me like just face planting. Um, but I'd also love it if there were some of my 
my sort of takeaways of things I've learned from an experimental life uh, and many of which we've talked about. Uh, be curious, not furious. Um, uh, act your way into a new way of thinking. Uh, and, and so sort of a collection of wisdom. And I do think uh, that sometimes those short phrases can be very powerful. They're just, uh, they're good to remind when I start to get angry, I'm like, all right, let me take a step back and let's get curious instead of furious. So that would be uh, my suggestion. And, and I would say keep it to like 25 minutes. No one needs, no one needs longer than that for the, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe they want it longer. If it's, uh, if they want it longer and it's comfortable seats, then go as long as you want. So I take that back, go as long as you want. But, uh, but yes, make it as entertaining and educational for the other people as possible. Well, AJ, this has been a very rewarding and rich in knowledge and, and, and wisdom that people can use in their own life. Thank you so much for your time today, your wisdom, your advice and your stories and for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Well, I, I am honored to be here. Thank you for having me, Jay. Just a delight. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com